Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Hey, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I'm so psyched to be here and so glad you're here with me for this special Pitchfork Music Festival episode. Uh, Pitchfork was just completed July 21st through the 23rd at Chicago's Union Park. Just about 10 days ago, I was so psyched to have been there for that one. Really amazing festival. I hope some of you were able to attend those. Some of my Chicago fam. Some of my favorite sets I saw were uh, over on the blue stage, M. Du Mokhtar, uh, saw MJ Lenderman, Wise Blood, Sen Morimoto, who I feature on this episode as well. He's coming right up, my chat with him, that is, and Illuminati Hotties. Uh, I had Sarah Tudson on the show for the Pitchfork preview episode of Illuminati Hotties, and of course, Hooray for the Riff Raff was amazing. Uh, just an absolutely incredible festival. So, so happy to have uh, attended that one. It's festival season. I just got back from Newport Folk Festival, did about 20 interviews there. No kidding. I just talked to so many different people and amazing people. And if you follow Roadcase on Instagram and you saw the stories, uh, you know, all those folks that I was interviewing, took a bunch of pictures there, posted them up. Uh, you can follow us on the socials. We're at, at Roadcase Pod. And uh, would really be happy if you followed us and you can keep track of what's going on. I'll be headed across the street this weekend to attend Lollapalooza Music Festival here in Chicago, which happens to be right out my outside my front door. So that was a no brainer. Going to interview some really interesting artists and kind of delve in to different musical lanes for this one. It's going to be uh, really cool. I'm really excited about it. Uh, if you're here for the first time to listen to these interviews with Sen Morimoto, Axel Bowman and Ariel Zatina that I did at Pitchfork Music Festival. Welcome to Roadcase. If you are a longtime listener, welcome back. So psyched to have you back. Uh, like I said, uh, really uh, cool if you could follow us on the socials. We're at Roadcase Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at roadcasepod.com. We also have a website. You can find out more, more information about Roadcase by visiting our website. We're at www.roadcasepod.com. Great way to support Roadcase and show your love for this podcast and for me is to subscribe to Roadcase on your favorite listening platform. You can do that on Spotify. There's a little box that says follow. Just click on that on Apple Podcasts. There's a check mark up in the upper right hand corner uh, by doing that on both those platforms. Really helps out the show to have a bunch of subscribers. Really appreciate it. If you can do that now and subscribe, uh, really helps out Roadcase. Um, also allows you to receive updates as to when new episodes come out. So it's super helpful as well. Uh, another great way to support Roadcase is to rate and review Roadcase on your favorite listening platform. Uh, it's really easy to do on Spotify. Underneath that follow box, there's a little checkbox. Uh, 
little box with a star on it, actually. Just click on that one. It's as easy as doing that uh, on Apple Podcasts to rate Roadcase. Just slide up a bunch from the Apple, uh, from the Roadcase homepage, and you'll see a place where there's some stars and a place to write a review. If you could do both of those things, just click on a bunch of stars. Even if you just can write a couple words of, uh, of review, anything you'd like, it'd be a, it's really great for Roadcase and really appreciate your help. And thanks to all of you that have already done that. Super appreciate all of you. So for this episode, I have Sen Morimoto, Axel Bowman, and Ariel Zatina on the show. Uh, first up is Sen Morimoto. And then after Sen, I'll tell you a little bit about Sen right now. And then after the Sen interview, these are about 15 to 20 minute interviews, roughly 20 ish, I guess. Um, right after the Sen interview, I'll come back on to talk about Axel. And then after Axel, I'll come back on to talk about Ariel. Um, so glad that you're all here for these. I did these live at Pitchfork. And of course, it's festival season, people. Um, I'm so psyched to be running around doing live in-person interviews to bring all of you uh, insight into these amazing artists that I talk to in a live setting. It's just perfect for Roadcase. And then I'm so glad that you're here. First up is Sen Morimoto. Sen is a Chicagoan. He's lived here for, I don't know, about 10 years or so. Uh, he's a producer, songwriter, musician, performer. He plays sax, guitar, sings. Uh, he's also co-owner in a record label, Super Records, S-O-O-P-E-R, based here in Chicago. Uh, he's got a new album coming out, Diagnosis, on November 3rd. Uh, that single is out now, and the accompanying video is just amazing. Please go and watch that. You get a really good insight as to what we were talking about and also into Sen's mindset about where he is at today uh, and his kind of view of where he is in this world. And there's just so many things to think about at that in that video and we'll chat a little bit about that he's super engaging and empathetic human we really kind of hit it off right off the bat um, incredibly talented musician and you'll learn a little bit about why just uh he's a terrific human um from all appearances as i could tell uh, we had a really great conversation really enjoyed it um his live sets are super uplifting uh fun and you kind of leave, like I said, during the interview, you leave his sets feeling better than you arrived. And that is really what you're shooting for. That is really why you go to see live music. And that gets accomplished with Sen. He's just very vivacious, ebullient, just absolutely uh, super happy to be up there. And it's just really wonderful him, wonderful to watch him perform. Uh, what I really liked about Sen, he's just a super self-aware human and kind of recognizes and but at the same time, sort of struggling with his place in the world, what that means to him and what impact the world has on his current psyche, uh, kind of the state of the world and how that affects him. And um, you learn a little bit more about him. He's just a really great guy. So let's dive right in with the interview I did with Sen Morimoto. And literally, we just dive right in. This interview just opens up uh, with us just already acquainted and saying hello for some reason. But, you know, those are live interviews. And uh, just heads up, we mentioned also his um, manager, Glenn. Uh, and I forgot to really contextualize that by saying who Glenn was during the interview, just in case you're wondering. I'll come back after Sen, chat a little bit more about him, introduce Axel, and then uh, after that, I'll introduce the interview with Ariel Zatina. So glad that you're all here, and I'll give more details about Newport and Lollapalooza at the end of this episode, so stay tuned for those. So glad that you're around. 
for this one. Really appreciate your support. And I want to send a special shout out to Sen Morimoto, Axel Bowman, and Ariel Zatina for sitting down with Roadcase at Pitchfork Music Festival for this special episode of Roadcase. And here we go. Yeah, yeah. How long have you lived in Chicago? I've been here coming up on 10 years now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. I've been here twice as long, but that's a long time for you. You're it, way younger than me. How yeah, it's you, a long so time. The whole story, you, you grew up in, so you're born in Kyoto. Born in Kyoto, yes. I was only there as a baby, really. Yeah. Uh, we moved to the States. Um, my parents, my two older siblings, and we, uh, I believe, you know, I, my memory wasn't really quite developed yet, but I believe we <laughs> what they tell you arrived on the West Coast <laughs> and we got in a Volkswagen bus that we lived in for a bit. They took it across the country. They had some friends. Uh, my mom's a midwife, so some of her oh. midwifery friends were living in this small town in yeah. the middle of nowhere in Massachusetts. Yeah. And that's where we kind of landed. And that's where I grew up sort of in, in the woods. Cool. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, Glenn told me a little bit about the background a little bit. That's, that is amazing. Your parents, so hippie type, not to like cat, super categorize, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got that from Glenn a little bit. Like, yeah, you know, for sure. Sort of, they, they definitely are, uh, of, I guess of that generation sort of. But, I mean, you uh, land in California. Why'd they right. leave? If you don't mind me asking, you know, I, I honestly I mean, leave don't really Kyoto. know. Right. I don't really know. They went, I know they went back and forth, uh, maybe one other time before I was born, they were living in, um, in El Paso when my siblings were younger before I was born. And then they moved back to Japan. So oh, I don't know. I guess oh, so my back mom, and forth a bunch. my mom was born in, in Kobe in Japan, but she, her family is American. So I think just between the two of them, uh, okay. maybe so just, there was a connection here. In yeah, the exactly. That so makes, kind that of, is, yeah, that explains maybe it wanting slightly. the kids to right. be half and half in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel Japanese? I feel Japanese in America for sure. Oh, yeah, but I feel right. very American in Japan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I spent yeah. a lot of time in Italy. So when really? I'm in Italy, I feel very American when you go really? abroad. And are you Italian? And when you come, I'm not Italian by, by heritage. Right. But I feel like I was born in Italy in a different life. Like I just felt <laughs> just, like I fit in. You just have an Italian vibe. <laughs> I kind of felt I, like I, it just felt so natural. But a lot of people say that about Italy because it's such a warm place and it's so It's easy. inviting. Yeah, it is oh, inviting. Well, that's a really good quality for like the culture there. That's cool to know that they oh, like, they make you feel italian oh, i mean that's what that's it all the opposite is. of it's i feel amazing. like almost everywhere else they're like you're, kind of uh, you're so othered yeah. yeah right in japan they're very nice to americans they're like overly kind to americans because it's kind of like oh you silly americans you just you have no yeah, idea you what you're no, doing right, i need to help right, you right. out so much you need to have more humility right and just like, your oh, outward but, expression of emotion is offensive to us it's kind of like oh you poor baby let me let me guide you a little bit <laughs> yeah. you poor unfortunate people over there that have yeah. no culture exactly like, just no decency does that get a little condescending does it yeah, feel but what it's funny like being half japanese i kind of i empathize with it while or i sympathize with it while it's happening to me at the same time i'm kind of like yeah you're right i am like uh I'm kind. I'm kind of a mess because I'm American in some ways. Well, you have a very mellow vibe, from what I. I mean, because I've, I've I've seen you perform and we've met here, and you have a very gentle, quiet, mellow vibe. It's well, sort of you. very Japanese in a sense, from what so, I know. Yeah, it yeah. feels like. I mean, not a lot of you know. I, I don't know. It's yeah. Like, I think some of that probably that, just I, comes I, from I, family I hope that's stuff. Not insulting or anything. No, no. I, I think some of that stuff just comes from family. Like, you know, yeah. My dad's very chill, and you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think sometimes he 
he plays the part of the Zen guy. The Zen master. Yeah, exactly. But uh, which is funny. In Japan, he's really like a rebel because he's such a weirdo. Well, because he's been here. And yeah, back. exactly. I mean, so yeah. he's the one that left. So like right. there, he's weird. But here, he's so Japanese. It's kind of the same thing I'm talking about. It's like here, he's like yeah, yeah, almost yeah. a stereotype of a right, Japanese person. Right. But, but if he goes over there, he's like, like oh, this the, guy's so weird. Guy. Yeah, exactly. This hippie. <laughs> yeah, this right. American hippie. I love the reservedness of Japanese and I can't because I just that's just something that as an American and just my own personality, you just people are just effusive here, overly yeah. effusive sometimes. Reactive, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah, interesting. And I just it's so interesting to be to, to be exposed to a culture where you kind of stay in your own lane. Not I don't know what it is. You can describe it better in your own lane. You're quiet. You don't go over the top with stuff i think if i'm i haven't yeah. been but it's from what i know yeah I, I think also maybe regionally it's a little different in japan too i like a lot of that uh a lot of that kind of uh i don't know common perception of japanese behavioral traits or styles or anything really fashion music a lot of it is just really from like tokyo mm -hmm. but like you know moving north in japan or moving uh southwest it really does change pretty drastically the same way that like in america it's yeah. like abroad maybe they're thinking of either like californians or like southern american right like right, super right, american right. people but then like, if they met like a midwesterner they might be like oh that's uh, very different than what i thought americans were like you know yeah, so yeah. well that can go kind of for any region depends on what your preconception right exactly was. Yeah. yeah so i i do think um and honestly like i spent so much time growing up in america and haven't really been able to go back and um experience a lot of that as an adult until we started touring there and now it has op that's opened my eyes to that fact even that i i didn't really understand until i was playing and for audiences like in different cities you know i'd go to osaka and it would be totally different you know it was mm. like boisterous and over the top and everyone was oh interesting so, yeah okay, i want to go to osaka yeah yeah you would like osaka it's, it's more italian <laughs> <laughs> okay the italian part of japan can you get italian food there by the way incredible italian really food. Oh, so amazing. much better than american italian food it's yeah, shocking yeah, yeah, i don't know yeah. what it is it might be like the proximity to seafood and understanding of seafood because you know italy more has natural that. and incredible ingredients right exactly so, yeah. Yeah. yeah and just yeah. the understanding of flavor i think is like really uh something that exists both in Italy and Japan. So they kind of like, they get each other, you know? Yeah, they decided to put pasta and tomato sauce together. And from there, the world just explodes. Exactly, from exactly. Nexus. Yeah. Right. So, um, how'd you make it to Chicago? I, um, I graduated high school and I was making music with my friends. And, uh, you know, I lived on a little farm with them. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't go to college. So, you know, I was... I was working at a college. I was washing dishes. Kind of, we all had a job there. And we did a year of that. And we were all like, you know, we're going to make music and we'll go on a tour. And we borrowed my friend's parents' van and went to South by and right. didn't play any shows because we were 18 and couldn't get into anything oh, and, and drove all the way back. And then, you know, people were kind of figuring out what their next move was. It was that thing where like, you know, there's a bunch of kids who take a year off. Yeah. Some kids go then to college. Some kids don't. And I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and I was seeing someone at the time who was going to SAIC here mm. and I came to visit and uh, while we were at a party, I met this painter who went to the art school here. Yeah. He's just a super nice guy and 
he was like oh like your girlfriend lives here why don't you just move here and i was like yeah. oh, i don't know i'm like figuring out what i want to do i don't i really don't know i don't know how much i like her <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it was that but you know when you, you're young it's hard to decide to just move somewhere especially like you know uh when you're off the path of college you know there's not really uh that many options for things that are like paved out for you that way yeah. besides college i was gonna say there's so many options when you don't go that quote-unquote normal exactly way and there's so few the um i don't know examples or like i guess you have to be very like self-determined and figure out your next move yourself and so yeah. i was having trouble with that and he was just like just yeah just i got a room open come live here oh, cool. and, and that was like i didn't 20, see it early and that was 20 tens. i i i'm that probably happened in 2013 and then i ended up moving here in uh january of 2014 so mm -hmm. um at the end of this year we'll be at 10 and the chicago music scene has never been the same <laughs> well <laughs> i hope that everybody adds a little make a, a little, little bit something. of impact yeah, yeah. yeah no of course i mean you're a noted producer in chicago people like love seeing your shows you're well known here with a lot of local bands as well like you know um i've i've crossed paths with your stuff and everything well um you went to an interesting musical high school and got yeah and you um you play so many different instruments and i understand you learned sax from a neville yes uh charles neville uh lived in western massachusetts kind of similarly in the cut in the middle of the woods he had this really cool like adobe house they had built totally out of place for like western mass it was like new mexico style knew house. there was a neville living in the woods yeah in yeah and like you know all his grammys were there and you know he did a he had a a little yurt that he built next to his house where he would practice saxophone like all day yeah and he so he did a master class at like a local library or something wow. and i was like uh 12 and i had been playing saxophone for a couple years so i went and me and my friend uh, his name was kai who were two just Japanese kids who played saxophone in the <laughs> area. And I don't know what it was. We just both were really excited about it. So he was like, I'll teach you guys uh, if you want to come every Saturday to my yeah. yurt. And so that's what we did. And it was really, really like We were talking about Zen mastering. Yeah, he Go was... To the yurt for yeah, like no, Charles like, Neville in the middle of the forest. He was the legit Zen master. I was seriously. just sitting there like just cross-legged playing sax. All day for <laughs> hours on end, yeah. And, uh, That's amazing. He really opened my eyes to a lot of things about music. Like I think up until that point I had been, you know, taking standard music lessons, you know, one-on-one -on -one things and, uh, and, you know, trying to learn sight reading, the basic fundamentals. And then he really made me think about music from like an emotional point of view and sort of how that impacts you as a person listening to it as opposed mm. to just like here are the yeah, notes regurgitating. Play yeah, yeah exactly oh that's beautiful and well what's the basis of that kind of learning uh sorry the the uh, more of, emotional side of it yeah just yeah. understanding it the music and its impact emotionally on others yeah i think because um, you got, well you still got to know the notes you, you like, still got to know the notes yeah, yeah. so he, he he had a good balance of it he would show me a scale that he particularly liked because it felt like it communicated the, wow, this certain uh, thing yeah, yeah but what he told me that i felt like really impacted me the most was i was soloing over a song um i think it was summertime and he stopped me and he, he was like, hold on, do you know the lyrics to this song? And I was like, no, I'm the saxophone player. You know, I don't know the lyrics to this song. I just, I play the notes. Oh, he was a like, song no, that no. had lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I so, thought it was like allegorical or something. Okay. No, no. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was truly, he, he said, go home, read the lyrics, you know, come back and tell me what they're about. And then uh, try to then, play 
like you're like communicating the, the lyrics, you know? Like choose the appropriate key. Yeah, because I think yeah. well, it was just choose the the pattern of notes, a melody that you build that evokes the type of um, sadness, you know? Right. Because uh, I was playing like doo, 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 doo. I was like having fun playing <laughs> right, my scale, right, showing right. off, yeah, and he yeah. was like, "You don't, you're not really play playing the song, over right? Over exactly." <laughs> he was like, "You're not really playing the song," right? And that really struck me because no one had told me that before. It had every music teacher had just been like, "Do the thing, do the thing." Yeah, that's deep. I like that. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, live music. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about Sen Morimoto's rock album. Yeah, you got some stuff coming up. I yeah. saw your set yesterday; it was wonderful. Thank you Lovely so much. Stuff you're you you do so many different things. I mean, rap, jazz, R and B. What's the recent uh, reference? Is uh, Funkadelic meets Dino Junior? We yeah. Glenn and I were laughing about that. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying <laughs> to figure so out what it is. References. Yeah, for sure. I, I uh, Wise Blood played here last night. Oh, and yeah. I was looking on her Spotify bio, and they used Bob Seger meets Enya. <laughs> I think it was just <laughs> that's a, a joke. <laughs> I think it was a joke. <laughs> that's not <laughs> I'm like. Bad. Are you kidding me? I'm thinking more like Josh Tillman meets yeah, Nina Simone. Little, yeah, it's a little more like uh, it's got to be. It's got to be Carol King. Like uh, yeah, yeah. Carol King meets of, Josh Tillman. Yeah, that maybe. might be closer. You, if, yeah, yeah, maybe perhaps. But I do like the idea that they just <laughs> throw it out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, you have a really great like eight piece band up there. You guys are doing it all. You're singing. You're playing the sax. You're playing guitar. Your second guitarist was ripping some solos. Your yeah. bass player is like cranking. Yeah, Kaina, your yeah. partner that I had on the show she's on keys backing vocals she has like an insane voice I know I mean you guys I mean I'm probably missing somebody but um, it's wonderful you got this joyous and fun and great spirit up there and it's just really you, you leave the show feeling better than when you arrived and oh, I think that's that's, that's really wonderful oh man that's so good to hear that's like the only thing that matters at the end of a set you know like we always talk about this because you know it's impossible to play a perfect set. Something will go wrong, especially in a festival setting. Like something will, of course, short. Some the power will drop. Rain. Whatever happens. Rain. Exactly. And uh, afterwards, we always just have to say, like, you know, if they walked away feeling better than when they came in, you did your job. Job done. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's a high, that's a high bar at a festival at a oh, big yeah. ass. You were on the main stage, big ass stage. Yeah. And you, 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 how was the um, speaking of which? How was the uh, after show last night? Shubas, really, really fun. Yeah, oh, I wish I could have been there. Yeah, it's you know it was different. It was cool to play Pitchfork because you know I've been coming to this festival forever, and there's something special about it for sure. Being outside, seeing you know the church cross oh, yeah, the street great. and it's the people great. and everything, yeah, but yeah. It, it's not the same as playing a show where people came to see your music you know they right they right. know the music they're there for that specifically and the energy was just so well is it a little so daunting special? for you on a festival stage when you know that there might be does it get into your head that like maybe 50 i don't know i don't want to put a number on it but a lot sure. of people are there just because they're the festival may not have heard for you yeah you. is that a disadvantage for you mentally or is it a challenge for you musically and from a business perspective perhaps yeah it's to not a, hit the hot button right we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna cover that <laughs> no it's um it's it's actually kind of exciting. It's you know as as a long time hustling you know yeah. indie musician, we've done a lot of opening slots on tours, and you know we've, we're starting to do more headliners. But there is some thing that I kind of miss about pulling up to the show and nobody knows your music, but you 
turn them you know i love that and I you love convince that sense of competition them. yeah exactly it's kind of it motivates it. you right it's like i can't you know when people already love the music it's that's a special energy too like we experienced last night but it's not the same where like uh i don't know you have to convince them yeah yeah, yeah it's turning people it's making new fans basically exactly, yeah I mean, it's kind of what grows the business to an extent I mean, yeah totally you you're a part owner of a label obviously so yeah. uh super that you own cohen with glenn and with namdi another local chicago artist yeah um but that's sort of how you flip people. That's how you get people, you know, it's vinyl and it's uh, live performance, man. Yeah, absolutely. But there's a beauty in playing for people that you know in a small room. I for mean, sure. You get the vibe Energy's going. Different. You just yeah. get everyone's there because they love you and your fans want to see you. Yeah, it was yeah. really special. It, it's, uh, you know, every time we play, I'm kind of surprised that anyone is there at all. But last night it was just so <laughs> like. Do you have that sense still? Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, I mean, after come on, the. Man. I mean, it's like. <laughs> I'm not even just saying that. I just mean, you know, after the pandemic, it's like everything kind of like restarted and it's so hard oh, to okay. feel, I don't know, motivated to go out to shows. You know, yeah. a lot of people even, you know, will still buy tickets and stuff, which is great to support bands, but then not show up or a lot of people don't feel safe at venues because there's not a lot of like preventative yeah, no stuff going on. Right. And so I totally get it. And that's what makes me expect less you know, of a turnout and stuff like that oh, is okay. that I'm like, I myself could understand being like, send is sounds good, but I, I don't You're know if I want to go in that the, regard. Yeah. I wouldn't blame When did you get back on the, um, on the road after COVID? We, uh, started going back out last year. Um, so really not, not, it took it us a while. a while. Yeah. And we, but not even for my project, actually, we haven't really toured since, uh, before the pandemic when you say my project you mean this uh this eight piece well yeah i mean i i do it in a few different setups with you know for anywhere from like a duo set to a you know four-piece band to the eight-piece thing but last year i meant we were touring uh, kaina's record because i Mm -hmm. uh, helped produce her Uh music and we toured together for her project and so that was the first time we you know we share a lot of the same bandmates so kind of our community that was the first time we went back out on the road kind of for a, a long sprint of shows and it was hard. It was different. You know, the shows were harder to uh, to uh, sell tickets to. Everything was more expensive. Yeah. Gas, lodging, everyone was, you know, a little unsure if it's safe. And um, we came home at the end of the year and we were broke and exhausted. And I don't know. I've been having talks with a lot of musicians who had the same sense, who kind of weren't sure if it was possible to do it in a sustainable way anymore. And I feel like there's not really an answer yet. Everyone's still kind of just like, well, maybe that was just like the first tour after, you know, lockdown that, you know, we're building back up. Hopefully yeah. next year is different. And, and it's interesting to be in a place where like even the highest level of music industry professionals, booking agents, venue promoters, everyone, like nobody has the answer to this one because right. it hasn't happened before. So The main impact, I think, when everyone first went out was just the inflationary pressure that was insane. That right. was the biggest difference. Like the bottom line is what? Exactly. So it's, <laughs> it's yeah, and it's hitting everyone, but it's... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and it was just also like not being out there for quite a while. And exactly, I mean, everyone's yeah. got Everyone's got their own stories for that one. That's exactly. just, um, yeah, amazing. Um, so we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about the new album coming up. Yes. What's the, do you have a title for it? Yeah. It's called diagnosis. Um, after the title track okay. diagnosis, which we put out, uh, last month, but okay. 
Uh, it's like you said, it's the rock album. It's the rock album. Yeah, I love the out. diagnosis and the the love song. Yes, uh, if I the answer is in love, you probably know the name of the song. Yeah, if the answer is in love. <laughs> 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 I had yeah. Um, yeah, that they're great songs, man. Thank you. I really yeah, appreciate it. You crushed it. it out there yesterday with it those was two. Really I was fun. like, oh fuck, yeah. sounds rocking. Yeah, because you know? like I think the kind of the rap soul R and B stuff, I like it. But then we throw the guitars in there and the sax yeah. and, the, and the videos were phenomenal. Thank you. Diagnosis. Like, Thank what you the so fuck? much. That yeah. was like going through a, the wor- kind of like a wormhole video about um, your opportunity to sort of state what your plan is above what other sort of ultra capitalist shit is going on. It was totally. sort of like when the TV just kind of goes static and then all of a sudden someone else takes over kind of concept. Totally. Yeah. I liked yeah. it. I liked yeah. it. But when, so we're talking about money. We're talking about getting back on the road. I made a reference to the business of the music. Totally. But you've in your bio, I read the novel. It was at least a 10-page short story. <laughs> <laughs> it was really great, though. I loved it. I'm like, longest one I've ever got. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for getting through it. But it was really wonderful. It was great reading. I really, I did actually enjoy it. I'm not just blowing no, smoke no, up your No, no. Everything, you one. know, it's funny. The small things, bios, <laughs> artist statements. I really, we spend a lot of time just being like, <laughs> these are the, why the don't we for make everyone it? listening, this, these are the mechanics of doing exactly. interviews yeah, and you press. Can. <laughs> <laughs> this is you know, the how-to exactly. uh, episode. But yeah, no. Uh, kudos for that. Thank you. I really, I did enjoy it. Um, but you talked up, it, it really um, encapsulates and explains a struggle apparently that you have with, or where you were before you started to write the material for this album, perhaps if I'm, if I'm, um, yeah, yeah. Um, if I'm getting the timing correct Yes. about, you know, we're doing music, we're in the creative world, but there's a capitalist world out there. We need to do business. And then um, I can't help but also, um, probably tie that into your producing business and the co-ownership of the label. So yeah. do you want to talk about that and kind of tie that into the how that ties to the new album? Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, like I was saying, uh, we got back from touring in the last year and, you know, it just felt like maybe there's not a way to do uh, do a life in music that is sustainable. And... Uh, and so I was writing songs and I wasn't like planning on making a, uh, an album like about capitalism or anything like that. I was just kind of writing about what I was feeling and, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I, I felt self-conscious about it for a long time because like I'm not, in, you know, an expert on the politics of things or, you know, uh, political theory or anything. But I do feel like there's a place for people to just be sharing how it feels to live in these systems and, you know, hopefully other people that also maybe don't have the language for that can relate to it in a certain way. Um, but it's tough, you know, trying to figure out <laughs> like uh, how to exist under capitalism in a way that doesn't feel like you're either exploiting others or exploiting yourself, you know? You don't really have to break shit to change things. Sometimes I think what I think reflecting on what you're saying it feels like it's a little more of a um less radical kind of self-awareness and movement into a direction where you feel good but you understand what the fuck is going on and all kind of like it's less about evil capitalism i think it's it felt like more it's about what the world really is you know people need to make money you got to earn something you got to make you know but um yeah, there's there's also a place for creativity and for artistry. Absolutely, and I I feel like I guess the the part of what you're saying that I resonate with really is is that um, when you're 
thinking about capitalism and living under it and working under it, it can start to feel like you are uh, the problem, you know, which isn't to say that everybody isn't culpable in some way. You know, it's, it is, a, I would say it's a very American album because it is in, in part about the balance, the sort of um, double think you have as an American, like, you know, you live in a country where uh, you don't have health care for all. You don't have all these uh, benefits or uh, just kind of basic necessities. So many homeless people. Yeah. And at the same time, it's the country that's, you know, pillaging the entire world for resources. And so, like, you feel cheated, but you also live this incredibly privileged life when compared to these other countries that your own, you know, tax dollars go to destroying. Um and it's this interesting kind of feedback loop in your head. You don't, you feel conflicted. Yeah. And I feel like sort of what these songs are about is just figuring out how to exist within that kind of um, complex sort of, uh, I don't know what you say. What's the word? Uh, intersection. Yeah. The intersection of those two realities that are existing at the same time. Yeah. You are getting fucked well, that's over always by been, your That's government. been the American way is the exactly. intersection of being a human and having to operate in this capitalist machine. Absolutely. You know, I was thinking about but you're, like, but, but you're, all right, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I was even just thinking about uh, <laughs> here in, uh, I know we could go on like this forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when like, when Bernie Sanders was coming out and it was so inspiring. And I think at the time hearing him say like, we live in the richest nation in the world. There's no reason we shouldn't all have healthcare was like a, moving thing then it was like oh you're right and that felt like we deserve health care but like at the same time it feels kind of icky to hear that we deserve it because we're the richest you know oh i know that's not what he's trying to say i understand the point he's making and it still rings totally true not necessarily rich in the sense of i got more money than you but it's like that we you know personally right it's that we have a lot of resources in this country that we're funneling mostly into defense absolutely not into helping people absolutely it's a socialist argument but i'm kind of like a semi-socialist in that regard yeah absolutely social democrat 100 percent. i feel you 100 percent, and that's i don't know just that that kind of like double-sided double-edged sword you know it's like yeah i feel you and you feel super icky about it you know well but there's a lot of countries that aren't the richest countries in the world that still take care of their people arguably better than america does from that respect i mean we have a massive insurance um industry in this country and so if you can pay for your insurance you can kind of get covered for stuff but yeah kind of barely the part yeah the 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 horrible part about it is that the bottom 10 15 percent of everybody cannot just walk into and get taken care of oh yeah properly 100 percent, and that's that type of insecurity in society leads to a lot of mental health issues for everyone. Oh yeah, even that they for those that by have the, funneling money into the police and <laughs> right, and into buying more bombs. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Holy shit, and it goes on and on. Yeah. Um, so that's where it's kind of coming at it from. And uh, you know, I think <laughs> to get back to what I was re- originally saying is right. that. Uh, what the I was thinking album? about with the album, right? I'm like, and by the way, buy the album because capitalism is bad. Yeah, because Sen needs to fucking eat everybody. <laughs> no, because uh, there's so many things that make you feel like you are this this part of this machine. You are part of the machine, but like, I hope that uh, there's a way for us to kind of flip the lens around and make people comfortable with calling out that same hypocrisy in the larger systems above us because it doesn't change with like an individual person in that sense you know it's kind of like the argument about like 
um, greenhouse gas emissions, you know, falling on individual people when like the meat industry is like actually the thing doing it, <laughs> yeah, you know? Okay. And you're like, I don't want to, you know, use a plastic straw and like, yeah, that's good. Everyone should, you know, try their best to recycle and not use that shit. But like yeah. us not using straws is not the thing that's going to change. Well, but every little bit helps though. But of go course. Ahead. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that there's a unfair, I think, general perception of whose responsibility that is and the judgment that comes along with like oh you're using like a plat you're going to recycle that or something and it's like yeah of course i don't think we shouldn't be holding each other accountable but like i just don't feel like people should feel bad and not feel angry if that makes sense feel bad but not feel angry yeah like feel guilty instead of feeling angry I think that's kind of part of the trick that's a, that's happening. To, wait, let me understand that. So you would think people should not feel guilty? I think instead of being, feeling guilty, yeah. you should feel angry. Yeah, well, feeling guilty is, uh, you know, we're part of the society. So if you feel guilty, there's it's really useless. Yeah, you can't do anything bit. with that. I would tend that. to agree with that. Yeah. Um, enacting change is the way to sort of move forward in your own world. I mean, yeah. I'm a firm believer in act locally, think globally. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's funny. Yeah. I'm talking wanna, to someone wanna, who's on the same page is funny. Cause you're like, yeah, totally. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I should like, it's, it's, is it more, is it more fun for you to talk to people that are like completely opposed to you, you know, just like trying to fucking shoot you down. We is that just, what you're more used to? Uh, yeah, maybe. That. Yeah. We could go back and forth now just being like, yeah, I feel you. I support you. And I love the way you think about things. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. I think it's great. I think it's great. And I saw the, and the, and the videos really nail it down. But you know, you're also about really about great vibes and um and that i really like inclusivity and just putting the love out there i feel that a lot thank you it's really I, great it's yeah. admirable and it's wonderful and i'm glad there's someone's doing that i feel the same way about you honestly you well, got thanks, a very brother. warm warm uh, energy around you. thanks man yeah i appreciate it i knew yeah. this would be a fun interview yeah same. but so what about rock though so 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 does does like not feeling guilty about yourself in the world like <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying yeah, to draw some angry. kind of analogy yeah. no, no, because 100%. this is your rock album. 100. percent I think How, it was it tied that. to uh, well, everything we were talking about. I think it was that. You know, some of the demos for the the album started with just like, you know, I'd be spiraling about some shit, and I would start a feedback loop and just record saxophone, just noise for like hours on end. And mm. um, this was back when I was sharing a little practice space, and I would just stay there all night, and then go to work in the morning but you know the last two records i did were very like uh introspective records both like, like lyrically and then sonically they kind of naturally ended up that way so it's kind of funny on the reverse end of how this record came out where it's very like uh outward i'm talking about the systems around us not the things that are within us yeah. and uh they kind of came out in this aggressive way that naturally turned it into a rock record without any sort of like pre-planned sonic thing going on um, which is funny, you know, I feel like as, a, uh, you know, I'm, it's hard for me to like analyze my own stuff, uh, I'm sure for most people, but, uh, I do feel like as an artist, I might not be someone who like people can look at and listen to and be like, oh, here is like a fully realized vision of something necessarily, but it's more like watching somebody, um, come to know themselves in real time someone grow up too really yeah. you know you're kind of it's it's very organic it feels like yeah you know? exactly so yeah I mean, maybe lot, that's the saving grace of the whole 
music that I'm making. I don't know. <laughs> well, we can also go off on how difficult that is for you to like have that first album that expresses something different, and then the second album there expresses something even more different. And now, now here we are. But you need to live in the here and now. I think in that regard, right? It's the and only way I know forward. how to do it. Yeah. yeah. And you got album release shows here in like yeah. September in the kind of in, in the November, fall and yeah. Midwest so the album comes the out East in Coast. November, and we'll do a release show here. We'll do uh, New York, LA, Philly. Where's the um, release show in Chicago? Tally Hall. Oh, it's gonna be really awesome. fun. Yeah, right. yeah, I'll I'm be really there. What's the Hell date? Yeah. I, hope you, I hope we'll be in town. Uh, I don't have it off the top right, of my we'll head. November, spot. I got That's you cool. though. Yeah, right. thanks, man. <laughs> All right, uh, Sen, this was such a pleasure, man. Let's Great have you time. on the show another time. We'll just we'll we'll be able to talk for a little bit longer, and we can meet in person because we're both from Chicago. Which I'd is love nice. that. Yeah, it's great such, chopping it so up. So great, man. So great to meet you, man. You that too. Was so much fun to have you on the show. I knew you'd be fun. I knew we'd get along. I had a great time. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing so much, brother. Appreciate it. Cheers. Good luck. All right. Hey, that was me and Sen Morimoto just having a really great conversation. I just love that guy. Um, just such a warm human, um, super bright, just uh, knows knows his shit, man. You know, I guess um, it's kind of what it boils down to. Uh, we uh, we just really vibed. I really had a great time. I listened to that. I listened back to that interview a couple times. I just really uh, really enjoyed it. Hope you did too. Um, was uh I love his story about his parents, hippie parents that came here and drove across the country uh, in a van and lived uh out in the woods in Massachusetts and uh he he meet he met the sax guru Charles Neville and learned sax from him. Uh that's just an extraordinary story. It just feels like meeting the Zen master in the middle of nowhere. I just absolutely uh love that. Um and this is going to be his rock album diagnosis coming out on uh, november 3rd uh really psyched to listen to that he played a couple of the new singles from um from that album at his pitchfork set which was just amazing that we talked about during uh during that interview um the two singles diagnosis and if the answer isn't love is the second one uh just a gonna be a great indie rock album i can just feel it and uh uh really wish send the best he's just really just a really good dude. Um, they're going to be touring the album a bunch in the fall. They're doing an uh, album release shows and there'll be a special album release show here in Chicago at Chicago's Thalia Hall, one of my favorite venues in Chicago. That'll be in November. You can go to his website for more information on that. And for other things, uh, really want to thank Sen for being on the show. Thanks so much, brother. Now, uh, next up is Axel Bowman. Axel Bowman is a Stockholm-based artist who was uh, visiting the United States, performs at Pitchfork. Um, his wife is from L.A., so we had a little bit of a chat about that. He had actually got to Chicago uh, the day before his set at Pitchfork. Um so, uh, you know, he was just kind of just settling in. This guy's a world traveler, man. He can just handle it all. Uh, caught the tail end of his set on the blue stage. Um, it's house music. Um, he's sitting at a panel, 
uh, controlling the music himself, and he had a sax player. Um, I also listened to uh, a bunch of his catalog, uh, namely his most two, two most recent albums that were released in the same year and actually uh, co-released on vinyl together. The albums are entitled Lose, L-U-Z is the first one, and Quest for Fire uh, was released on vinyl as one package. Axel's kind of a guy that likes to break a lot of rules and do things his own way. He's a super creative human, uh, incredibly glib conversationalist, and uh, he and I also just really vibed, had a great, great chat with him. Interestingly, his 19, uh, or the 2000, the 2022 album Quest for Fire that was released together with his other album Lose uh, was is loosely based and uh, references, of course, in the title and uh, somewhat in the content. And you'll learn a little bit more about that. Uh, the 1981 film Quest for Fire, uh, which was uh, an interesting kind of art, but semi-mainstream film that was about cavemen. It didn't have English in the movie. It was just kind of caveman language. And they uh, gathered, they found fire and tried to preserve it. It was crazy, weird, and interesting. I saw it at the time. I'll talk about that. Uh, not to reveal like how old I am. Everyone knows I'm like 59 years old. And like, I've seen like stuff that was produced in the eighties. Um, super interesting reference that we really connected on, but, um, Axel's a really interesting guy, and um, his albums are super compelling, tell amazing stories musically, and I was on the edge of my seat listening to these things like, what's going to happen next? I mean, house music, is experimental music is not necessarily in my lane, but hey, his music is in my lane, man. It doesn't matter what lane you have. Um, if you love something, you love something, and uh, music is wonderful, and his stuff is really great. I'd highly recommend you dig it into Axel Bowman, and you're going to learn a bunch about Axel here. Um, and thanks for being here. I know you that you're really going to enjoy this chat that I have with Axel at Pitchfork Music Festival. Uh, big shout out to Axel Bowman for being here and a thank you to him. And I'll come on after Axel and talk a little bit more about Ariel, about Axel, and then uh, introduce Ariel Zatina. So uh, no further ado, here's Axel Bowman on Roadcase. We're rolling. Axel Bowman, welcome to Chicago, brother. Thank you. Yeah, so great to have you here at Pitchfork, man. I mean, um, Stockholm, huh? How, when did you get here? Uh, yeah, uh, I came in yesterday. So, uh, it's, yeah, fresh fresh off the boat. Hope you got a nap. Like, did you sleep okay last night? Or? <sighs> we, we, we kind of, we, we, I came here with some friends. So we, um, we kind of went for it last night, you know, food-wise. And we went oh, to cool. see Where'd some stand-up go? comedy. We went to... Gene and, and Jurgetti's. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, and then yeah. we under went the, to see some... L, it's over there on like Franklin and Huron or something. Yes. Yeah. And then we went to, to the Laugh Factory to see some comedy and then oh, nice. kind of like... So, so we tried to stay up as late as possible to kind of, be, to kind of nip the, oh, the yeah, jet lag. Oh, yeah. not go to bed at like the, 6 p.m. Yeah. So, so I kind of feel fine. Like I'm, yeah, <laughs> I have a good night's sleep and... You cool, know. cool. And uh, we have an interesting connection in that I'm from L.A. and your your wife is from L.A. Yes. Uh, how'd you guys meet? Um, we met 
the first time we met, we watched actually at Burning Man in oh, 2015. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Kidding>. so <laughs> I was, she was friends with my uh, my former uh, booking agent, and she was the, I was there with her, and just, I don't know. We, we hooked. We, we, we that's hooked. where. Wait, you were to say we hooked up? No, yeah. Well, I, I was about to say we, <laughs> our paths crossed, and, <laughs> and then uh, that was we a connect, start. Uh, we connected. Yeah, I yeah. think yeah. is like a good term yeah, for it. We connected. Yeah. Burning Man. Wow. Um, is she in the business? Uh, yeah, she she runs a, a booking agency for for uh, techno DJs in the states. And, uh, and yeah, oh wow, so, yeah. So I'm surprised you don't play here more, though. I mean, would she be booking somebody like you here? No, I think we're trying to keep our business and private life kind of separate. Like, well, I uh, mean, theoretically, she books. No, people I think uh, no, I think like land. I don't think I, I think I'm more of a like in, in my world. I I, I my sound my music it's more. Uh, like I don't know, experimental or house or or not. Uh, she's way more uh, into techno and kind of more, yeah, uh, okay. ha- harder harder types of music. What's your definition of house music? And like you know, like I was saying before we got on, we were just chatting briefly, and I said like this is not really my lane. That said, I was listening to Quest for Fire. Yeah. First of all, uber impressed by an eight point two on Pitchfork. That's like getting a ten, by the way, <laughs> as you well know, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but it's it's um. It's really intriguing. I mean, it, it grabs you and um, makes you want to listen to what's coming next. And there's hooks and there's uh, a through line. And it's so there's a really big through line that we're going to talk about according with the, the title. But yes, yeah. quest, quest for Fire. Um, but what is the definition of house music? Um, like, I think I've like I, I, I blur, I've bl- blurred blurred the lines uh, for for so long now that I've I have a really hard time kind of defining what you've that is. redefined it yeah well I, I think I'm operating in on, on a on in my own uh, on my own turf a little bit like mm-hmm. I, I've managed to cultivate a, a branch of music that is kind of both eclectic and and uh, like I have so much references to like uh, dub reggae music and, and to kind of uh, pop music and to uh, uh, experimental music so so I, like I, I I'm nodding like I maybe it's just like my angle was just like I learned I, I got a drum machine and I was into house music and that's how I kind of ended up there mm-hmm. and now I'm uh, in that world and not really knowing where where I like <laughs> if I belong there even like well but, you belong wherever you are I yeah mean, I, I guess but, but I mean it's like yeah uh, but, but that's you know what you mean place, like it's kind of a cool place to be it sounds yeah, like I, I mean yeah you're that's so interesting to hear you kind of work your way through that yeah. because so a my takeaway is that is there really there's maybe there's just not a definition and i don't really mean to like ask you how do you define your own music but there is kind of this house music thing but if you're kind of operating now and creating your own lane that's that's phenomenal yeah well i think i think that's uh i feel less and less that i have a responsibility to to kind of uh uh stay true to kind of i don't know rave culture or house music or anything like that like i feel like i have the freedom now to kind of pursue whatever uh music adventure i want um, uh, i want uh-huh. get, to uh, get on and, and i yeah. feel like that's a it's a very nice place for me to be right now the place of kind of being in this creative space that's unique yeah, where I don't, of, for like, this time I, 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 that's kind of where you want to be right you want to be out yeah, well, in guess, front of yourself almost because i think like for, for for a long time i thought like okay this is how why am i not making more club bangers that people djs can play and i, and I was like i don't care if you play it or not like 
Yeah. Was that something that you were more focused on early? Were you focused on that earlier in your career? Well, I think so. I think I was dreaming of, of, of uh, when I was young, as I was dreaming of like playing big waves and like uh, yeah. being part of that. Because you used like, to go to like a ton of raves in, in Stockholm, well, as yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, like you're I, familiar with that. Is there a big rave culture in Stockholm? It, it was. It, 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 we were, Sweden was very early in, in adopting kind of a, a, this uh, subversive, uh, uh, the subversive uh, 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 idea that what rave culture is, which is basically just like uh, breaking into a warehouse and and, and oh, cool. setting up a sound system. Is it and re- like really? It used to be. It used to be like that. So I so coming from that world, uh, I just felt like okay, I'm I'm part of like some something subversive and something dangerous and something uh, yeah. like provocative. And I was like, I felt like I guess I guess if if the same thing would have happened to me and it was punk music or if or if it was like uh, i i guess maybe i would have been so i was just at that age when you're just like a sponge to uh, uh, for impression and you you want to find a context and that came along and i was like oh my god this is the like uh, I, I was accepted i was uh, yeah. uh and, and came along as a participant yourself yeah. initially you were yeah. just you were going I, and you no, were into like, it and yeah i was just a confused just... kid looking for a context and then then uh. and that this came along and then it it provided me with like a lot of uh, like um, uh, uh, opportunities to to express myself and to feel part of something and to feel uh, outside that being outside of a norm or outside yeah. of a uh, something was was uh, was something good, right? Yeah. So so and you know like as as a, as a young searching uh, person that's that's important. Yeah. Was it something that you were creating as well as when did you cross over to i'm doing i'm going to do this on my own now this is something that i would or i guess the question is did you create music for raves initially no no because like i started i started creating music way later so like i was initially starting to 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 dj to learn how to to mix records and to like to buy vinyl and mix mix vinyl and and uh yeah so that's my my entry point was was first as a i guess as a dancer and then and then uh trying to be a a dj a dancer yeah 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 i guess just just participating in raves and like like it used to be it it used to be that you like uh, you would hear about a rave or you'd hear about a place where you would go to get a number to call someone that that where that rave would be and then it would be a bus and it would take that's it to so a place cool. so it used to be really uh, is that something that's unique that factor is that unique to sweden or does is that the way it kind of occurs all throughout wherever there's i don't know I, I think subculture. no i think that it, that it came from england first and kind of like that whole kind of um, like acid house uh, movement uh-huh. which is like the, which originates in in uh, in chicago of course like uh, like house music being being from this city and yeah and, yeah uh, like but like now we're going way back like i i think i i i caught that train later uh, and I, I was just like uh, amazed by like you know like it's it's I, ca- I can't really be the claiming to be the first generation rave person like i was second generation or I don't no know, no i'm not I'm, not I'm not i'm not saying that i don't i wouldn't know anyway you could tell me that and i'd probably believe it <laughs> but yeah no yeah um how old are you i'm 44 and you've been producing music for like 23 or for like 10 years now well, or no. albums, or yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. think I, like my first release was like full uh, recorded thoughts yeah, of music years ago, or something like this. And, right, and then maybe well, I had I, down like 2013, but I don't know. I just was yeah, again. I had a few. I had a few releases before that was like uh, that kind of. Um, uh, I guess um, 
uh, flew under the radar. So yeah. <laughs> really under the radar, <laughs> deep under the radar, yes. <laughs> like only you knew about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you kind of start out doing something like that? And was it when you first started, was it music that was specifically for raves or the house music? Yes. Kinda? Okay. Yes. It's, yeah. From the beginning, it was just like, okay, I want to make tracks. I want to make songs that is going to be played at like I had specific dance floors in mind when I like made oh, music for the first time. Interesting. Like, I was like, I want this to be played in this place in Stockholm or whatever. So, so is, yeah. yeah. Is there kind of a directional change when you decide like, I'm going to be the kind of artist that creates vinyl and then goes out and plays it somewhere? Is that, how does that, how do you make that transition? Is there a transition there? Well, like, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's still a long, uh, uh, it's still a long kind of complicated process to get a vinyl out, you know, like you have to, yeah. and, and, and you have to kind of know, uh, you know, but it's also like, uh, it's so rewarding to put out like music on that format, like, yeah. which is like beautiful, lossless, uh, uh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. You so, have so, like a, you can hold in your hand your music, which yeah. is amazing. And it's something that's timeless and yeah. will always be there. And now, and I was, I was, I was, I was, I come from like the artwork side. I did a lot of like weird art things with vinyl too. I did a lot of, I did records with locked grooves, which is like when the, when the, when the groove of a record meets itself and it creates an, an endless loop. So like I did, wow. I, I did a whole album of only locked, like, like basically one, uh, one revolution of a vinyl is 1.7, uh, uh, seconds, uh, on 133. BPMs. Okay. Uh, uh, like, uh, then, then it goes, uh, so you can make like music that is like one and a point, uh, 1.7, uh, seconds long. And I made an album of 40 tracks that was like 1.7 seconds. So long. you completely fucked with vinyl, basically. Yeah. I really like that. <laughs> I really, really like that. Uh, and you did something recently too, where you recorded two, you, you, you released two albums in the same thing. That was, yeah. Uh, Lose and Quest Quest for Fire. Yes, tell me about that. Well, the, I, I want. And here to we are in the live music podcast talking a lot about vinyl, but it's fuck. It's fucking interesting. For well, yeah, I, I, I guess. Yeah, like. Re- yeah, yeah, yeah. Rec- yeah, guess I guess so. Like, but recording music, you have to be. It has to. Happen. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. so so. Anyway, yeah, I was I was I I've just uh, or I released last year. I released two albums, Quest for Fire and Loose, uh, containing nine tracks each, and. Uh, I think it was like read as a double album in the end, but I was like, I was still trying to experiment more with the format. What have you know, everybody says? You can't release two albums at once. You can't do this, and it's like, and I was like, as soon as someone says that, like, I want to try well, what happens if, uh, and yeah, and so uh, how did how did it go? It, it went really well. Yeah, it, it was yeah. like it. it uh, I, I was proved that uh, proved right that it was. It is still interesting to uh-huh. not be so. Uh, 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 concerned about industry standards, like basically, like oh, so, like if you say like oh, you have to if you release an album, you should release a single, a second single, and then the, this, and then you have to do this whole PR thing. Right. No, what if you flip it? What if you do it backwards? What if you release two albums at once? What if, what if we do this? Like, and it, I think it, it works. Like, you just really be, are you being away from this huge industry in the states? Does that help you kind of think outside of the box a little bit? I think I think just being like uh, living in a back alley of Europe, which is Sweden, I think that helps. Like you're <laughs> you just said, like, back alley, not me. No, right? no, but it really is. <laughs> like it really, 
like it, you, you, you travel to Chicago and you say to people like you're from Sweden. Ah, oh, Switzerland. How is Switzerland? So it's like, <laughs> right, it's, right. So it's like people don't know where you're from. So well, it's you like, guys did so have I some good skiers. I mean, I was a big Ingmar no, Stenmark no, but, fan. No, but, no, but I think like coming from a place like Sweden, like, yeah, it helps. It helps you be less respectful to towards uh, like industry uh, standards uh, and all of these ideas. Yeah. Or well, I said think outside of the box, if you want to call it less respectful. Like, But you mean it like less uh, less beholden or less locked into what the general pattern is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about Quest for Fire. And I, I want to talk about your live performance. I just saw you perform on the blue stage. I caught the tail end of that because I was doing an interview before. It's just, it was fascinating. I really, really loved it and a sax player playing too which is really cool um but quest for fire so this was your i think a 2022 release yes um and that was a film in 1981 i forget who directed it you can tell me i, don't, I can't uh, remember but uh was yeah, it the uh, anthony guy yeah, yes anthony uh, uh, something uh, that shit, came out the guy uh, that came up with the uh the language i didn't write his name down uh, anthony burgess burgess uh, okay yeah. no so he, he, so, he actually so didn't was, i think for those uh, that anthony burgess didn't didn't direct it it's from this french guy oh, I forgot yeah, the name. anthony yeah, burgess yeah. wrote 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 the, i think uh wrote the script and came up with his language so this for, is a crazy movie yeah. like maybe people that are, are listening may not be familiar with it because it's it's a tad obscure yes however it was a movie about cavemen. Yeah. And it was very well, high high production value, if yeah. I remember correctly. It's been years since I saw no, it. Oh, super, super high production. And they created a different language in this it's, movie. It's basically, it's basically it about this, this group of cavemen that, that comes across fire. It's like right in when they discover fire. Yeah. But so they're, preser they're running around preserving this fire, but they don't know how to make it. So they're like terrified that it's going to go out. So, right. so, but they know how to feed it. So they run around and try to, trying to keep this precious fire going. Yeah. And it does a good metaphor for anything anything i guess right so so like just carrying you don't around know this. what you how good you have it until no, you lose exactly. it exactly right. you don't know how to make that fire but you, so that right. in itself i think is just like a great great how metaphor. did they get it initially i don't remember it's a flash it's, it's like a, it's it was like a lightning from a lightning. Forest, forest fire and then ah, just okay. they managed to keep it so right. so but but they like they in the movie one of the mo one of many 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 crazy things they did was that they flew elephants to iceland oh in the and production they, of the movie yes yeah, and yeah, they yeah. dressed them up as as mammoths they, they dressed <laughs> them up in drag like they basically they, they dressed them up in drag and then <laughs> they filmed them and and I, and I was it's 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 the movie's completely over the top but also beautiful and and uh and really uh and what's his name um who plays the caveman who's this uh oh, Hollywood I don't actor. Uh, oh. no shit i just did i didn't i didn't hellboy um Oh, oh yeah. Um, I, um, <laughs> why, is, why isn't it dropping like the? Yeah, uh, I know the guy with the big forehead. Yes. Okay, I forget his fucking name. I, Perfectly I casts as the. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. So anyway, so this was an instrumental movie for you because then you named this album, and then you had some also some descriptions and some writing on the vinyl. I yes. Decided, yeah. You know, we're going down the yeah. rabbit hole in Quest for Fire because I saw the original movie. I was telling you when I was a kid in L.A. at the Cinerama Dome. Yeah. And it was kind of a phenomenal thing. There was no English language in this movie. There was no actual real language in the movie. No, no, no. Because well, they made spoke up whatever language. they spoke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, what was the, so this was a meaningful movie for you? And yes. I asked uh, like a, a friend of mine who's a, who's a writer. I, I, I had a, both a, a friend of mine who's a, who's a, an artist and a designer and, and this guy who's a, as a poet and a riot writer to, right. to join my, uh, uh, the production of these albums on an early stage so they could like if tr my hope was that they that they would influence the not only the music like a, a lot of times like if you make an album you, you you bring the graphic designer in at the end to design something or a photographer or whatever but 
rarely you're part of the early process like the same uh, as, as if i do like a lot of times i if i do music for let's say a movie or something yeah like they bring in at the end to score the movie like but you would the dream is to be part of the movie to begin with so you can like as the movie right. is yeah, happening yeah, yeah, you can yeah. you can send ideas and you can like sketch right you get things. a better feel for it yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so we were we started watching like so so my friend eric came in with this movie and stuff like we, I, I think you should see this because i think this is like a like this is because this this is a like oh, an so you basically you scored the movie on your own basically yeah so it's like he's like and he started writing things That's and i started really making cool. the music and we started sending all these pieces back and forth to each other wow. so so it's like kind of I, I i like the idea of like communicating music like like i send a music piece to a poet who write, who sends me back uh, a text and, and the graphic designer does this it's yeah. like it's a cross uh uh, uh cross pollination yeah and it's, a, it's, a, it's it's unusual like everyone's uh, like yeah. adding a little bit but it's not it's, it's not like two musicians looking at each other saying oh yeah this good this is good and this is good and, and it's like this is like actually other artists from other disciplines of art that try trying to communicate wow something together so that's wow. kind of how the it was it was that process is that piece of it that collaborative sense of it was that unique to that album or is that how you kind of operate in general these days i, I more uh, more often than not i'm collaborating in that way yeah, yeah i think like I've, I've, I've moved to totally towards collaborating much, much i feel more. like there's a lot of those influences some of the things that i was reading was that people love this the album this quest for fire and lose lose i'm pronouncing it correctly yep. like light in spanish yeah um that's exactly right uh and um they were like i love this but i don't know why yeah. but i'm super compelled by it yeah there's just a lot of elements of just of just musicality in it in in so many intriguing ways that you kind of you're drawn in and you want to hear it more and it just starts to open up into this kind of world it's really fascinating Axel. well thank you yeah yeah, yeah i love it um, let's talk about live performance a little bit. So okay. how do you translate? We talked about vinyl. Um, how do you translate what you do to a live stage and kind of bring that energy, that rave energy ultimately, maybe not to that extent, but um, how do you how do you relate to an audience or do you relate to the audience? Do how what's your relationship with the energy in a room and the live performance energy that we often say? Well, you know, I've been I've been touring very very uh, 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 much the extensively last, yeah. yeah extensively for the last uh, 15 years like everywhere going like as a DJ mm. so I have a, I think I have a lot of experience in kind of manipulating a crowd and and, and, and having fun kind of uh, and, I, and it's like one of my trademarks as a DJ is like to, to do these curveballs and kind of to so I, I think I have, I have this but like like adding like the light like when when on stage having that like all of these machines and kind of making the music as it happens and like also involving the saxophone and flute player yeah. Chris, christian harbour and that's a completely new thing but i think i have some idea of what i of what i need to do mm -hmm. in order to make it like kind of uh, interesting for for because like i think like the the live show uh, uh for me uh, especially when it's not in a in this uh, club or 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 dance music or rave world it becomes a new thing and, and it, it has a new audience and it, it's a new way of co communicating. So, so yeah, I, I still, I, I feel too super fresh as, yeah. at, as, uh, at the same time. I'm very, very like uh, familiar with the stage. So it's yeah, like, it's yeah. weird because it's like, 
it's maybe it's like start start playing tennis with your left arm when you've been playing with with your right your whole life. <laughs> right. You know the tools, you know what to do, but it's yeah. like fuck, it doesn't Just really work. It, it doesn't make it really work the same way. You're kind of the kind of guy that wants to like make it challenging for yourself every time. Well, yeah, I think so. Like, I think, yeah. And you can do that up there live. Like, you're playing your songs from your various albums and other things, right? Yeah. And you're just kind of tweaking them a little bit or maybe changing them a little bit, changing a particular beat or a particular yeah. drop yeah. moment or yeah. uh, kind of raise the tension and release sort of thing. Yep, I mean, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how, I mean, I have no idea what you're doing with all those buttons, but because I'm used to really, I kind of live in that world of live performance with instruments. I mean, you had sax and flute player, but, you know, traditional four yeah. by playing, you know, yeah. guitarist, bassist, vocalist, drummer, you know, there's a, a lot of different variations and expansions on that theme. Um, but it's interesting to understand how you can control what you're doing and really feed off of the energy or create a different energy. Yeah. Um, not to mention it must be different out here on a, on a, on a outdoor stage. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's a. Uh, now it's it's a uh, but but you know like I I, I feel like I'm I'm familiar with this world but uh, the the it's 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 kind of a different you see how how different it is when like also like the stages like how many people are working to to set up your show and I'm like I'm so used to just doing everything just, by myself yeah I show up with I came literally, even now you like yeah, show up now, at like, like places in Stockholm and just with your own shit yeah I just bring oh. everything myself like all the and it's like and all, even now like I'm setting the, everything I'm connecting everything like and all I have is it's like for the sound engineer it's like so what do you want me to do and it's like well, could you check that the volume is good? <laughs> it's like, right. it's like, your it's fucking like, job. It's like, no, 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 but, no, but normally I'm, I'm sure it's like, oh, here's the kick drum, here's the snare, here's the overhead, here's the guitar, here's this, and it's like, oh. right, 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 like, right, right. And he's like, yeah, I have two you stereo, like I have two, know. I have a stereo out. Uh, even the saxophone goes through me because, like, I, I want to have be able right. to kind of. And he's kind of thinking to himself, shit, why am I not working this kind of DJ circuit? All the time? I don't know. Fucking I don't easy. know. I think, <laughs> I think, you know, like. Uh, it's still in, in the, at, at the end of the day, the, the, the idea is the same. Okay. I have, here's the drums. Here's the bass. Here's what produces uh, this. And here's what produces that. And here's a lot of effects and blah. Okay. And, and then you play. Yeah. But it's just like a, uh, and so where do you go with that? It's like clearly you're only limited by your own imagination and your own creativity. Like you can do whatever the fuck you want. You're the whole band. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's stressful also to be, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I You're wish I, I, I can't really say like I've been in, I've been in bands, but we've all, we've, we've all had, always had a drum machine. Maybe we had a guitar guy. Like I've been in different yeah. constellations before. And, uh, yeah. and I think it's, it's kind of, I, I don't see a big difference. It's like, like it's a, uh, like either you, right. Either you, I don't know, either you just play music or, or you, yeah, I don't know. I'm fascinated by the energy of the show, and the energy of the show of what you're doing is just is absolutely spectacular. You know, I mean, to be in that room and to be able to create that energy and move the audience the way you want to do it, and then that's something that you created as well. Like it's got a it's got a larger meaning to it as well, not only from a dance perspective, but from you know what you're actually creating and what people are taking in. And yeah, vibe. it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's great stuff, man. What's on the What's on the horizon for you? What are you working on now? I'm um, producing a few bands. I'm producing a few artists and doing a few remixes. I've been. Uh, I'm still not really recovered from from the losing quest for fire. Mm -hmm. I feel uh, it, it took it took a lot for me to 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 make that um, to make that. Yeah. So you kind of just 
in that zone. It's right kind of nice to work on other people's music. That. Yeah, yeah, I'm touring yeah. that and and working on other people's music. It's, I, I feel I need it. It's good for 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 my yeah right yeah. now. Yeah, but I'm done, but now I'm itching to, like I've, now that this is uh, I'm done with this show here. Like yeah. I'm, I'm I'm now I'm starting to get like the itch the studio itch again. I want I want to make something new. Nice. For, like do you usually um, work in Stockholm? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Stockholm or Los Angeles. Okay, cool. Yeah. Where do you? Where's it? Where's your studio? Where do you guys hang out in LA? I like Ven- I like I go to Venice. That's just kind of my. Thing. I I love Venice too. Yeah, La- I yeah. Me and wife love Venice. I was just yeah. there too. It's great. Yeah. But it's, I have it's more, changing I, a little bit. I though. know more people uh, on the east side. Uh, uh-huh, la- yeah. So so it's where I, all the that's musicians for, hang out. On yeah, the east side. like I have more access to studios there. Uh, yeah. But Venice for sure is my. It's my more. It's <laughs> like the place you go for fun. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I really like the kind of the the tempo life there also. Right, like, right. It's 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 only ecosystem. Oh, it's yeah. it's that is fascinating. I was thinking yeah. about that the other day. Where else do you go in LA? It's it's just this pocket of you can kind of just live there and you have everything you need. Yeah, I mean. You also need a lot of money because everything's yeah, like super it's, expensive. It's, so expensive. it's insane. It's so expensive. You can't go grocery shopping in Venice. I mean, no, but but like it's also like funny right. because like if you're in Venice and you ask someone else on the east side, do you want to uh, do you want to meet up? And it's like, ah, oh, no, I don't want to. It's leave. too far. It's yeah, too far. It's a bubble. So, so they might come to you on a week on the weekends. Well, yeah, because it's <laughs> the like, Venice boardwalk. Yeah. It's a big draw on the weekend so, for so, sure. So they might come to you on the weekends, but that, but then you're just like you don't see them for, for yeah six every, months. Everybody but, says but how you same get, city. They say how you got to rent a car when you go to LA. Yeah. Sometimes I just go to Venice and I don't even rent a car. It's so close to the airport. I just like Uber to Venice and I just because I never go anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy, but it's a, it's just an amazing place. I, I totally love it there. Well, hopefully we'll cross paths again there sometime. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Enjoy the Stockholm summer. When are you Another going back? one of my heroes is also a resident in, a residing in Venice called DJ Harvey. I don't know that. Well, he's a he's a giant. He's a Do, he's plays a, he plays shows in Venice frequently. No, but what he does in LA frequently. Oh, okay, uh, but uh, he's um what, yeah. He's like a mentor of yours, or just not a, a, older, or yeah, yeah, but just maybe, maybe more of a a, a, a huge inspiration, inspiration of, a, yeah. of a of a of a person that kind of took took uh, DJing to its edge, and now he's just playing. Now he he's he's an, in a position where he can like play a a big big huge show, and he's only playing like slow rock songs, and oh, everybody's cool. like loving it. Like it's like nice. like he, he's a he's an educator and a, an inspirer, like a, a really out of the box thinker and a. Cool. Yeah, and a punk. Yeah. Uh, right on. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Axel, for being here, man. It was a real pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Yeah. It was so awesome. Thank you, Josh. Thanks so much. I hope uh, to see you around sometime. I don't know. Maybe we'll cross paths and uh, on the Bardwalk. Well, Venice if Beach. I see you, I'll, uh, I'm, I'm going to let you know. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll be in touch. Okay. Take care. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks. Okay, that was me chatting with Axel Bowman at Pitchfork Music Festival. Uh, Just loved having a conversation with Axel. He's just a really cool dude. Uh, He's been to, visited L.A., uh, where his wife is from. Uh, So we kind of vibed on that quite a bit, um, which I do with guests from time to time that are from LA because I miss it there and I love talking to people about it. And there's quite an opportunity when you're talking to artists, kind of 50-50 chance that they might live in LA or spend a lot of time there. That's just kind of the way it is. But, you know, 
Axel is just a really super creative guy who's a super out of the box thinker, a lot of it due to just being uh, living in Stockholm away from this American mega music industry. Um, you know, like I mentioned during the interview, and I just not don't have any shame about mentioning it. Um, I don't know a lot about house music and we, um, it was really interesting, uh, a really interesting component of this interview is just kind of working through what that means to Axel. What is the definition of house music and what is, what is it that, um, how does he describe what he does and uh, what is that house and experimental lane and how he sort of operates within that structure and was really interesting to hear the kind of this really brief history of raves in Stockholm, in Europe, and in other countries uh, here in Chicago, where it developed quite a bit in New York, London, etc. Axel's a really free thinker. Um, I really loved his um, his thoughts on how to structure vinyl, different things that he can do with vinyl itself, that locked groove aspect that he talked about as well. Um, just a super interesting and fun dude. Um, I hope that I can cross paths with him again uh, some other time. Uh, his 2022 albums are absolutely worthy of listening. They are just so amazing and compelling. Uh, really good just for a good long sit down and uh, uh, thought process of going through uh, his journey and being a part of that journey. Uh, 2022 Quest for Fire and Loose. Uh, just amazing stuff from Axel. He's producing a number of different artists now, and hopefully he'll be back in the United States at some time. Just you can follow Axel on Instagram or keep up with him by uh, visiting his website. Uh, just a really, really great dude. I want to send a shout out and a thank you to Axel for being here on the show. And now I've got the interview that I did at Pitchfork with Ariel Zatina. Uh, just a wonderful human. Ariel is a native of Jacksonville, Florida, but she's lived in Chicago for quite a while. She attended Northwestern University here up in Evanston, a nearby suburb of Chicago, uh, studied theater and creative writing there in fact she is uh, uh as well as a noted dj in chicago in the chicago scene she's also a playwright she wrote uh british honduran fantasy about a trans woman who travels to chicago from florida and we'll find out how how and if that is actually autobiographical uh your guess is as good as mine at this point this was her first time on a pitchfork stage and being a uh chicago residence was resident uh, was super important and significant for ariel uh her debut album and latest album is entitled cyclorama it's from 2022 she played a number of different tracks from that album on the main stage, the opening set on Sunday. Uh, it was just an absolutely wonderful celebration of just being who you are and being and just doing what you want to do. And Ariel was a uh, the main component of that. She had a bunch of her friends and fellow artists up on stage with her. It was just a really fun and wonderful performance. Ariel is also very active in the queer community here in Chicago, and I applaud her for all her efforts to bring people together in an inclusive fashion and uh we talk a lot about that and she's just a wonderful human uh super smart uh great conversationalist and really analytical uh about what she's doing and where she's going and uh uh what she wants to do in the future it's a real pleasure to sit down and chat with her so i want to send a special thank you to ariel zatina for being here on Roadcase. and here's ariel and i'll be back to wrap the whole thing up in just a few minutes after ariel and here we go. 
All right, Ariel. Hi. Great to see Ari- Ariel. Ariel. Oh no, you're right, Either Ariel. Ariel. Yes. Okay, great. Yes. I have a step niece named Ariel. So, yes. who doesn't know an Ariel these days? I mean. Yeah, I feel like, and it's like everyone, everyone I know with the names like pronounces it differently. So I kind of like accept all pronunciations. I know you have to kind of get to that point of acceptance that everyone's just going to butcher it in their own way. So you're like, yeah, close enough. Exactly. Right, 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 right. (laughs) So welcome to Pitchfork. Is this your, so, and you're on the Sunday stage, 1 p.m., Sunday, 1 p.m. at the green stage, the big stage. It's the big show. How, um, is this your first, this is your debut? Yes. At Pitchfork? So, so technically, last year I played, there was a, a Zelle tent, like the, the app. Oh, so yeah. I remember, I played, I remember that. Yeah. There was like a DJ tent. So I played in like a secret DJ tent last year. Wasn't it this yes. place right over here? Yeah, it's where the 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 inject the smart talks. Yeah, the injectable. What are they doing are there? Some sort of like like a beauty thing. You can get braids there. Oh. You can get um, and then learn about some sort of. I haven't beauty cut my hair in a secret. while. Maybe I'm in uh, no. They have air conditioning. That was what they oh, were selling to me too. Yeah. Well, there's air so. conditioning in this bathroom back here too. So oh. just FYI. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> uh, so anyway, debut, kind of debut. Well, yeah, this is your debut. We're going to call this debut. I'm at calling Pitchfork. it my debut for sure. Forget the Zell thing. Exactly. I mean, you know, exactly. That was in the past. <laughs> exactly. You're on. It's on the big stage. Yeah. You've been in Chicago, I believe, since 2008. Blah blah blah. Yes. 2008. Since you came here for theater to Northwestern, I believe. Yeah. So I was in. I was in Can Evanston. You, oh yeah, of course. I was in Evanston for. Four years, so 2008, 2012, and then I moved to the city. So it's like, I thought I lived in this city when I lived in Evanston, and then <laughs> I moved there, a, and I was like, city. oh, exactly. <laughs> I would like come to the come to the city on the weekends right. and stuff, but then I was best definitely like, you know. I mean, it's of, of all the suburbs, it's one of the better ones. And for those that are listening that are not familiar with the Chicago area, it's like the suburb that's just north of the city. So it's kind of part of Chicago. I mean, I go up there for a show to Space Evanston, which is part of the Thalia Hall, Empty Bottle, Salt Shed group great great place for a show um but yeah northwestern so you've been in chicago for a while now and um how does this what does this mean for you to be performing at pitchfork this is a big deal yeah and it's you know this is one of these things where it's like i don't love to like be like oh like i i always like to kind of count my work being like this is the work rather than like the venue or the place but it's such a milestone for me at Pitchfork just because mm. I've been coming for here here for so many years yeah. like you know I think I went for the first time in like 2012 and like just being part of um a festival that's like meant a lot to me I think like you know I really love the crowd here I feel like it's I mean you've probably experienced it's like way chiller than some other festivals I'm sure you've been to yeah, where yeah. It's, you know people it's very mellow I like it yeah, and you know, I'm I'm I, I just feel really really honored to to be playing this stage and to be yeah like showcasing in this way with you know with a a festival that I feel like really trusts what I do. I don't have to sort of fit into anything. I can yeah. do what I want. Yeah, they're very friendly. I mean, you're very active in the queer community. Can I is that what we're calling it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Pitchfork is very representative of all sexual orientation. Everything, um, gender orientation, you know, correct me if I'm phrasing everything, anything oh, wrong no. or anything. No. I really like that. I love the inclusiveness here at Pitchfork. Um, you feel that as well here? Yeah. You know, I've always had a really, it's, I think what's great about these spaces is that, you know, people from 
you know, a lot of different sexual orientations and gender and identities can all be here together. And it's not exclusive to any one type of person. Right. And I really, I really appreciate that. Even seeing like, you know, a diversity of age in a way that you don't see in the club. Like, you know, I've seen like oh, you know, yeah, six year olds yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, and like, yeah. that's so I didn't cool. think about that. That's actually a great point. Yeah. You can bring your kids here and everything. And I bring your kids to smart bar. No, exactly. In all, in all likelihood. In all likelihood. I was like, yeah. I was Sneak like, a kid in. What do you got in that bag, sir? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I'm surprised someone hasn't tried to. I have, I have seen a kid in a club before, which is hilarious, but. Hilarious I guess and only semi-sad. And only semi-sad. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Two different times. Yes. <laughs> we have Sloan here as well as a friend and she's in the peanut gallery. So we're going to get her comments sort of silently as we go along. I was, was afraid. Ariel told me not to give Sloan a microphone. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So age, yeah, that's a good point also. And you know what? Height as well. They're very inclusive. And I, because, okay, when I was, I was at the main stage, I don't know, many years ago, and I apologized to people behind me. I said, I'm sorry if I'm blocking your view. I'm tall, like, you know, whatever. And they're like, you didn't ask to be tall. I love that. Right? Yes. That's, <laughs> I love, I'm going to, I'm going to, that was a good one, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, I did not ask to be tall. It's not my fault. I told everybody, that's what I tell people. I'd be like, not my fault, yeah. right? Um, so let's talk about this new album and what's going to happen on Sunday. Cyclorama. I mean, your most recent album, your debut album, as a matter of fact. Yes, yeah, I yes. can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, talk to me. So you're going to be performing that, as I understand, on the stage. Is that correct? Or have you changed plans since the thing I read? Oh, no. So that that is the plan. I'm I'm doing... You know, uh, a set that has, you know, it's like the Cyclorama show, but it also features other stuff that I've been working on okay. as well. So it's some, some older stuff, but sort of all recontextualized. So the whole thing feels like a full, there, there's a through line and a sort of, um, general musical relation to Cyclorama, even if it's not like a Cyclorama track. And uh -huh. so, yeah, it's going to be... So it's kind of the same vibe is what you're saying. So what is the yeah. vibe then? I find it very interesting. And tell us a little bit about what Cyclorama is, because there's an interesting kind of theatrical um, explanation, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's was sort of, it came from this idea of uh, Cyclorama, which is like basically the what the the backdrop in theaters that are used to sort of project the sky on i always think of the musical oklahoma as an example of like you know it's the <laughs> sky cheesy backgrounds that just rotates to in, to indicate motion <laughs> exactly and so it's this idea of sort of this like imagine like sky imagine dance floor not that yours is and cheesy so, i use cheesy i didn't oh i love yours. cheesy no oh, i okay. feel you though. Right, no right. i didn't take any offense okay. to that i feel you um no, and I, you know, I think that's something I always have a little bit of humor in all my work. It's, uh, it's, it has that sense of like cheekiness that I'm always uh -huh. looking for. But, um, and you're going to be able to achieve that on the big stage. I think so, honestly. I think by, by, not by to cast any doubts, be, but I'm just kind of like from a logistical perspective, I'm curious. Yeah, I, I think it is going to be very cheeky. I was sort of in, in this idea. I'm like, you know, since I live here, I was like, you know, I have all these artists that I work with here and we can actually like, work on something together i was like i could either do like a, a simple dj set which also would have been i think really cool and really great yeah but i was like you know i i think what i've always imagined this this stage i've imagined a show i think all of the performances that i've really been is so excited about have mm -hmm. some sort of theatricality to them so mm -hmm. i was like i want to i want to bring that and you know i think the 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 original sort of 
idea for Psychorama. I was, I was looking at it as a concept album being like, you know, the first track's the overture and the second act or the second song is like the start of act one. And I think that that sort of theatricality kind of followed through the entire album, even yeah. though I kind of dropped the having to stick to a very certain thing. Um, and I was like, I think it makes sense to do it, have a theatrical performance for the album. Right, right. And you're adding um, individuals into a band ensemble for this show, which you don't necessarily have as a DJ, I, I presume. Um, yeah. Tell me about some of that and who you're all going to have up on stage. Yeah. So um, I, you know, at, at certain times when I do live sets, I'll have maybe like one vocalist or one like special guest or something. But, you know, I... I'm, you know, the two vocalists that are on the album both live in Chicago, so mm -hmm. they're both going to, you know, be able to do their songs live. And then I also, you know, know so many dancers and choreographers in the city. And so I was like, you know, we should really all work together and make it make it happen all together. So, right. yeah, vocalist dancers, um, Sloan, who's sitting next to me and is doing the visuals. Um, you know, we have we have makeup, we have a makeup person, we have a hair person. It's, you know, we're doing full I'm feeling my pop star fantasy for sure. Fantastic. <laughs> it's so inspiring. You're a playwright. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You um you wrote British Honduras Fantasy. Yes. About yes. a trans woman who travels to Chicago from Florida. Yes. How how do, how autobiographical is that? Exactly, exactly. It's sort of my my autobiographical fantasy magic realism play that I I Wrote maybe I wrote over a couple years, but I think the first time I had a reading was maybe 2016 or so, and kind of very much about my my you know my childhood, and then also my uh, coming coming to terms and coming up as a trans woman in Chicago, and then also my mom's journey in Belize and immigrating from Belize to Florida, and kind of you know putting all of these three together in this very you know dreamlike thing. It's called. Um, it's called fantasy because you think it's sort of going to be like about this like crazy fantasy thing. But the more idea of fantasy that like what we imagine is different from what is. Yeah. That, was that is what fantasy is, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can do anything you want too, right? Which is amazing. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm really intrigued by this theatrical sense of your performance as well as DJing and putting that together, which is really this cyclorama, it feels like. Um, Tell me how. Um, tell me how you grew up, and like, let's talk about Florida. You grew up in Florida of mm -hmm. Belizean, Belizean, Honduran parents. Yeah. So yeah. So um, how do I yeah. say Belizean? Honduran? Oh no. Yeah. So um, Belize. Yeah. So Belize was in I think 1981. Uh, um, gained its independence from Britain. So mm -hmm. before that, it was British Honduras, and then it became Belize as independence. Oh. So, oh okay. Yeah, me as a so, political science major, I should have known all that shit. But no. Anyway, honestly. I knew there was something going on, but I've been to Belize though. So oh, amazing! I've amazing. Been to Ambergris Key. Yes, amazing. amazing. My grandpa, my grandpa's from there, so I'm like, oh, okay. yeah. So you, perfect. oh, from Ambergris Key? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh He's from God. San Pedro. Yeah, that's an amazing place. Yeah, yeah. He um, was born there. He lived. My my family all lives in Belize City now, or like oh, okay. most most of them. Some in Belmopan, some right. mostly on the mainland, but. Yeah, my grandpa's from the island. So, so. cool. Yeah. Um, and so your parents emigrated to Miami, Florida or something? So, yeah. So actually, my my mom is from Belize. I mean, then my dad is white American. Okay. So he actually met her when he was in the Peace Corps of oh, all my. things. So they while actually he got, was there? While he was in Belize, yeah. Ah. So, um, so oh, I, they, like, I like this person. Come back to the States with me. It's... Top yeah. level analysis. No, no comment. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, no comment. No comment. Ooh. <laughs> now I'm gonna have to dig. Oh no. no anyway, like, anyway. Yeah, this is about know. this is about you, Ariel. 
yeah. So and then um, they so they originally moved to actually um, my dad had a job in North Carolina. So I was born in North Carolina, and then I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. So super North Florida, super not Miami vibes. More you know, I always oh, okay. say Florida Georgia line. You know, super Southern. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. So, so for, for, you know, I, I sort of, when you say Florida and then you're doing DJ stuff up here and you're theatrical, I was like, this is all about Miami, Miami beach, but not really. Oh no. Oh. I mean, it's definitely about the beach and definitely Miami base and you yeah. know, Florida breaks are so important to me, but yeah. you know, I think, I think for me, my, I, I always think just cause I had such a, like a, a random musical upbringing, you know, from like both like Belizean stuff coming in and then also like growing up very close to country and like Scott, I was actually just talking to someone about how the last time I like went clubbing like in Jacksonville, I heard a sublime song at every single bar that I went to. A which like, song? A sublime song. Oh, like sublime. full, oh, like yeah. the, the amount of ska that's there is insane. Huh. Did that uh, influence you growing up? What'd you listen to growing up? Oh, I listened to everything growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the biggest things for me, I really grew up to like, you know, a lot of like late nineties, like dance records. Like that's my aunt really got me into that when I was really young. Um, I listened to a lot. I was an emo kid. I definitely listened to a lot of emo. I listened to a lot of singer songwriters, a lot of indie stuff. I was definitely just blasting like, you know, like Rilo Kylie. I introduced a bunch of my Gen Z friends to Dresden dolls. If you remember them, mm-hmm. like, you know, these, these like, yeah. Was, have you ever read Flowers in the Attic? No, absolutely no, not. No, no, no. I no. I know I definitely know what Flowers in the Attic is about, and that's why I will not read it. <laughs> <laughs> so you decided to uh, to come here for school to Northwestern. That's a that's a big move. Great school, and um, how was the theater program there? It's good. You know, it's like it's actually uh, it's it's famous for things that I actually really didn't do there but you know so many of the like tina fey went there like on a gas star went there there's actually a girl that was in my class that's on snl now like oh, all shit, of these who? people sarah sherman oh really yeah i'm familiar with yeah. her. yeah she's amazing yeah she's so fucking funny she actually Holy shit. the reason that i have a, a residency at the hideout here is because i actually played one of her shows and i think what was so cool is that she was doing like avant-garde music and comedy together and she was like this works and i feel like it's that kind of brain like and she oh, nice. yeah i met her when she was like 18 so i was like yeah. you guys still you still talk yeah a little oh, bit great. yeah, yeah good, she's great good contact yeah no she's she's amazing i i was like forever i always know we will hype each other up so that's fantastic yeah, that's great. great that's great but yeah it was like it was you know it was funny coming i was like you know i'm coming from like a like a football school like i don't know if you follow football but oh, yeah, i sure. i went to high school at the same time at my high school as tim tebow he played for my football team oh. so it's like i very much am from like you know the arts were not privileged there and i come right. to this place they you know, could probably beat the northwestern wildcats oh yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> no, no i would always make fun of the team because i was like oh i'm like literally from a football school and this i'm going to like the school that has a terrible team like fuck that it is yeah. big 10 football though yeah. so you, some good teams do come through and it's fun it i mean college football is fun it is i you know, i had a good time talk about like a good party atmosphere and like you know live music live sports you know I mean, the, come on. yeah it's the collective effervescence that like the the religious collective thing effervescence <laughs> i love that i love that yes. smart bar let's talk about that yes you're sort of what really well known in chicago for being a part of smart bar which is an underground in both literally and figuratively kind of let's like we can say that a uh, bar in chicago it's just start right below the metro which is a really famous uh, club in chicago a venue um, tell me about what you do there. And what I'm really curious about is live music and that energy vibe. Yeah. And 
while you are DJing, you're up there, you're not playing an instrument, but you are playing music. What is that vibe and what is that energy and what does that mean to you? That's a great question. Thanks. I, I try. Yes. No, it's it's great. It's perfect. Uh I yeah, so my party is called Diamond Formation that's there, which sort at of, Smart Bar. Mm-hmm. At Smart uh-huh. Bar. So it was um, you know, this kind of idea. The actual I it started originally before I came resident there as cubic zirconia, and then I was like, oh, it's gonna evolve to diamond formation and then nice. also the double entendre of like you know plain diamond formation and then actually like you know formation of diamonds and that kind of idea of like, soccer yes exactly exactly <laughs> like bringing up these sort of like interesting geometric ideas in this uh time-based way i'm getting yeah. very you know artsy no i love with this. that <laughs> you're an artist let's do it exactly <laughs> um yeah so i I really, uh, for me, the the kind of liveness that's important to me, you know, yeah. a lot of times, like I, I had the album release party, for example, for Cyclorama there. And it's like, I'm, I've grown up in like a world where, you know, I was at so many different kinds of queer parties, a lot of them being ballroom parties where people are, you know, on the mic for the entire set. And so I come from also a very different sort of like DJ experience. I like mm-hmm. definitely have been in like, you know, deep techno, like, you know, no one talks, there's no vocals in anything. And then also the opposite of that, where it's literally someone on the mic the whole time. And I think like, I always like to think about the liveness in this and like kind of, you know, when I'm doing a set, I'm really having this experience of like, you know, not necessarily creating a narrative, but creating a through line for people. And so people can follow and really trying to match the energy that's in the room. Mm. And I think that for me is like the biggest theatricality of it. Um, and yeah, I think, I think I'm so interested in sort of these ideas of like breaking the fourth wall in like a DJ kind of set and not feeling like it's this just presentation and we're watching it. So you're really vibing off the energy. I mean, I talk to a lot of performers about vibing about the energy and like even on a bigger stage or a smaller venue, for example, it always happens. But I don't talk to a lot of those that are doing DJ sets. But while I was thinking about our interview and sitting down with you and, you know, what you do, you know, I really wanted to explore that. And that's interesting. The breaking of the fourth wall, you want to be part, you as the DJ at the particular set, you kind of want to be part of that. You want to feel the energy that's going on in the room. You do you, how do you, how do you, how do you bend that energy? How do you mold it and how do you guide it? I think I always try to be like one, one second ahead of what is happening on the floor. Cause I'm like, you i'm like i know what you need before you know what you need Ah, kind of thing and and between doing this balance of being like having enough stuff that feels like me when i'm playing Mm -hmm. that will be able to fit what the audience is wanting um you know that's definitely something where uh i think a lot of djs also really excel in doing like their specific sound really well in a different way and for me i think just also being in chicago it's like i feel like in a lot of ways i've had to be you know i worked at like so many gay bars where i would play for like six hours and it's like (laughs) i have to be able to like know how to play like myself and play Katy perry at the same time and i think just kind of like coming up in that world and really coming up you know i learned how to play cdjs like in the club like it was very much like oh like i'm in this like okay which i feel really lucky about because i think that for me it's always been about paying attention to what's going on and also i think just like my you know i was like very you know i'm so still interested in like avant-garde theater and these methods of performing a lot of what i studied in school was Mm -hmm. um you know these ideas of performance like weddings funerals like these things that we do performance for like our everyday performance that we have and and what that sort of means how we present ourselves and what that kind of 
changes, uh, you know, what that kind of changes if we change it. It's interesting. So you feel like when you're up there, let, let's talk a little bit about that being one second ahead. So you're not, you're improvising what you're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, because if, if you're able to think one second ahead, then you don't, you're not necessarily going in a direction. You can veer off. Are you playing things that you know you've done before in the same way or a different way? Does that mean that you're taking what kind of your known set or known songs in a club setting and changing them according to whatever your mood is or the mood of the room? Yeah, I, I come with like a sort of, I always try to come with like maybe two to three times as many songs as I think I'll need uh-huh. for a set. And, uh, when I'm picking them, I'm usually first starting from like being like, okay, this vibe of this club night or this show is similar to maybe this other thing I did. So I'll look through and sort of mix and match different elements from other things and kind right. of create this new set from what I already know. And then I always say like when I actually get to the club, I'm just I have to be always ready to drop everything I know and just completely go left turn right. because I've definitely been in situations where I expected like, you know, I try to I pride myself on being able to predict what I need and what's going to like be successful, but there's definitely been times when I've had to like completely change it and also just like I, you know, I've, I've had so many moments where I, I see when the, like the club stops dancing, for example. Yeah. And so I'm like, Oh, I, oh, I know. I need to yeah, do a U-turn here. A, a very physical <laughs> like reaction of like, Ooh, that was not the point. Right. And like either adjusted ooh. music. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Just like very humbly learning that. I think with right. both. Yeah. Both with music selection and also with mixing. If I like mess yeah, up a at mix. that point, you're either <laughs> like, yeah, right. You either like switch the music or you just get on the mic and go, why the fuck isn't everyone dancing or whatever? You know, I don't know. Exactly. It could be as easy as that. I'm just, I'm kind of joking, but it's sort of like that kind of improv vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Never, never being too committed to my, what I, what I have planned in order to be, to sort of like preserve that liveness and preserve that real energy. Right. Right. Uh, Queer community, community in Chicago. So you've been very active in that, as I understand. What, what tell me about the community and kind of some of the things you're doing real briefly before we, uh, before I let you go. Yeah, so I I run a couple parties in Chicago, Diamond Formation at the Smart Bar, and then Rumors, which is currently at Dorian's. Uh, one of my favorite parties. We I've been doing it since 2016, and it's always been uh sort of like uh who's next in the in the local scene here we we like to book both djs and drag queens and um live performers as well who were like excited about kind of like shaking up all of those things of like what we expect from a drag show or what we expect from a dj set bringing like people that we haven't necessarily seen together um and we also do a mixed series online which has been really cool because we've highlighted a lot of queer DJs like internationally which has been really really amazing and also a lot of DJs that were like you know we feel like they should be getting more accolades like worldwide mm-hmm. um because we see them in Chicago all the time and they're amazing yeah yeah um and then I also run a party Ariel's party uh that is at the California Clipper right now which is um also focused on local DJs my diamond formation show focuses on also guests from from all over That's but great. I really I always, I always want to focus on, you know, queer local DJs. I think what's great about my parties is that, like, it doesn't matter what your orientation is. You will have a good time. I specifically, you know, I definitely say I work in the queer community, but I never put the words queer on any of my nights because I wanted to be able to be accessible to everyone. Mm. And I think that, I think that for me, it, that, that is what creates a safe space because we definitely are like, you know, 
no bullshit's allowed, but also like yeah, there's yeah, no yeah, yeah, no yeah. one feels like they're you can getting su- pegged support a community, someone. but don't exclude others that just are not maybe identify as part of that community, but yeah. want to support it and be there. Like if I wanted to show up, for example. Oh yeah, exactly. And like the thing is, it's like it's always about the music first and foremost to me. And I yeah. think it's a lot of the people that are, you know, maybe wanting something a little bit different than they hear. Because I think that's one thing I can definitely say about my my sound and also a lot of the DJs that play in my scene is that we do something really unique. And I hear that especially when people come visit and they're like, oh, like the Chicago like queer house and techno scene is really bringing like a really cool different stuff. Um, yeah. We respect like you know the house legends so much and like are so down with that but it's really been great to like kind of show that there's more to the chicago house scene that's happening in 2023 as well right right yeah the legends have been so supportive of us too which is crazy it's just always so surreal where we're like wow we are like talking to someone we're like partying with someone that literally people come through music people come through chicago and kind of you know connect with you or you'll vice versa yeah we'll just see each other we'll just see each other at the bar on the same night that's what's so great yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, exactly. I love what you do, Ariel. Thank um, you. Thanks so much for being on the show. I'm looking forward to your set. Can't wait to see Cyclorama performed. And um, it's so uh, so great to have you here. Thanks so much. It was great great chatting with you and learning more about you. Yeah, thank you. This was amazing. Cool. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thanks so much. Okay, that was me chatting with Ariel Zatina at Pitchfork Music Festival. I love those live interviews. You really get a sense of uh, who the person is a little bit more. It's just more immediate than uh, doing remote interviews through Zoom. Not that I don't love those and it enables me to do interviews uh, with anyone from any place in the world, as you've, as uh, you regular listeners well know. Uh, this was just a really wonderful one. Ariel's like super smart human college educated out of Northwestern University where she studied uh, theater and creative writing. And uh, she's a trans Woman living in Chicago is super supportive and uh, and very active in the queer community here in Chicago, which is just wonderful. Uh, she's a well-known DJ here at a local uh, a local spot uh, called Smart Bar. Uh, also does uh, other types of DJing parties uh, at two particular uh, venues here in Chicago for my Chicago fam, Dorian's and California Clipper, if you're interested in that. Uh, loved chatting to... Uh, with Ariel about kind of that that vibe inside a club when you are DJing and controlling sort of the vibe on your own, reading the room, uh, controlling what you're doing, um, and having that level of improvisation uh, different than kind of a typical four-by band with instruments. Uh, you're controlling it all. I talked a little bit uh, with that about Axel as well, but um, you know, she's really got to be in touch with the vibe and control everything. It was just um, really interesting to get what her perspective is on that. Uh, she is currently performing her most recent album and her, which is also her debut album, Cycle Cyclorama from 2022. And it was fun to sort of chat with her about high school football and, uh, Big Ten football being on Northwestern. I get the the sense that she was a real uh, sports fan as well. Um, so, so great to have Ariel on the show. I wish her the the best of luck. Her set was just an absolutely wonderful, like I said at the top, just kind of a celebration of life, of inclusivity, of just being who you are and what you are. And just uh, the crowd was really into it and they were really celebrating as well. Uh, it was a really great moment to open the, the green stage, the main stage on Sunday at Pitchfork Music. 
Music Festival. So congratulations to Ariel, and thanks for being on the show. Big shout out to you, Ariel Zatina. Thanks so much for being here. So uh, I've got a bunch of interviews that I'm uh, that we are currently processing and editing and getting ready for publishing from Newport Folk Festival that I just got back from attending in Newport, Rhode Island. So super excited to present those to all of you, my amazing Roadcase audience, whom I appreciate and love so much. Thanks to everyone for being here. And you'll um, heads up for the amazing names there that uh, people, artists that I sat down and chatted with at Newport, artists such as Danielle Ponder, Gregory Allen Isakoff, uh, the new and young artist, folk artist Joby Riccio, uh, the amazing bluegrass artist Jerry Douglas, Aaron Vance of Black Opry Review, Mariba, Jamie Wyatt, and Illiterate Light, uh, Jeff and Jake from Illiterate Light, uh, to just to name a couple of the interviews that I've done. So those are going to be, that's going to be a series of three or four various episodes with uh, the number of different artists that I interviewed there. Can't wait to present those to you. And I'm just headed right across the street to Lollapalooza this weekend over the next four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday coming up here, August 3rd through the uh, three, four, five. Five, six through August 6th. So I'm really psyched for those as well. I'll be doing a bunch of different interviews with a number of different, super interesting Lollapalooza artists. So can't wait to bring those to you. Thanks again to all of you for being around for this special Pitchfork Music Festival episode. I am so psyched to continue to be able to bring to you these amazing live interviews that I get to do with these festivals. This is what Roadcase is all about, going to festivals, listening to live music, talking to the artists that are performing there and chatting with them either before or after their set and getting their impressions and just learning a lot about uh, really who they are and what those festivals uh, mean to them and uh, more of that upcoming with Newport and Lollapalooza. Thanks again to Sen Morimoto, Axel Bowman, and Ariel Zatina for being here on this special Pitchfork Music Festival episode. And thanks to all of you for being here on this episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. Yeah.